0: As a parent, you can't help yourself. When you read the headlines and watch CNN bulletins on a loop, you imagine what your response would be. How would you react in the moment that you discover your child is locked down in a school with an active shooter threat? Samantha Gay did not have to imagine. She was working remotely from her home in April when she got a text from her 10-year-old son.
1: I'm in a meeting and he texted me, someone's in the school, this is not a drill.
0: Her son had just gotten an Apple Watch. He was learning how to text on it. They hadn't figured out yet how to silence the notifications.
1: It's a watch. It's really hard to scribble your thoughts on a watch. And I assumed that he didn't use the microphone to send that if that really was what he thought was true. So I wrote back and just said, are you okay?" Just really hoping this was a really unfortunate
0: scribble. Her son's watch pinged when she sent her message. His response at once stunned and terrified her. He wrote back and told me to shush. Panicked, her mind raced with possible scenarios. Should she go to the school?
1: If there is a problem, I'm not
0: going to be able to stop it. But
1: I didn't want to just sit here and feel helpless. And at the same time, after he told me to shush, I couldn't really text him anymore. And that was really hard. There really was a dangerous situation. I didn't want to make it worse.
0: It's worth noting the Gay has two children at the school, a fourth grader, and a first grader. She called her husband, who was out of town for work, then got into the car and drove the block and a half distance to the school grounds, where three schools are situated in one space.
1: As I was driving there, my husband tried calling the school. They didn't answer. So that obviously increased the panic.
0: Many high schoolers were released that day. But even so, the campus was strangely deserted. Why weren't other parents racing to the school like she was? A police car arrived.
1: I was trying to tell myself everything was okay, but I, I couldn't really tell. And then, and this was unfortunate, I got another text from my son that said, Help me.
0: Help me. In that moment, every genetic mechanism for protecting the young kicks into gear. Studies show that in the face of this kind of threat, oxytocin, the love hormone, is released in the brains of not just mothers, but fathers, grandfathers, even strangers. It's why so many of us feel the urge to do something when children are faced with imminent danger, even if we're just watching from across the country on our cell phones or TV. Do something. But that day at the school of Samantha Gay's children wasn't a do something moment, not yet. A glitch in the school's security system set off a false alarm that even teachers and administrators didn't see coming. The help me message, it was an error her son made while swipe-typing on his watch. Kids went home crying, some were quite anxious, but they were safe. But not even one month later, a mass shooting at Robb Elementary in Uvalde, Texas ripped open a wound for Gay and a whole host of others throughout the country who found themselves anxious and angry and grieving again. This is the Ohio State University Inspire Podcast, a production of the College of Education and Human Ecology. I'm Robin Chenoweth. Carol Del Grosso is our audio engineer. One of the many ripple effects of school shootings, like the one that killed 19 children and two teachers in Texas on May 24th, is the fear that they instill. Parents were shaken when they saw the news clips of distraught families and accounts of children who survived an hour-long carnage in their classroom. Moms like Emily Johns, whose third and fourth grade children attend the same school as Gay's children. Johns read about the shooting on social media after her sister said to her about the news, you don't want to know.
2: Another school shooting and in, in Texas this time and the number of kids... That were killed was just unfathomable Mm -hmm. to me.
0: What were your thoughts were going through your head?
2: How does this keep happening? Mm -hmm. How are we not protecting our children? I don't understand how this can keep happening and keep happening and keep happening and and then of course it's turning into a political thing again and it's your kid like As a parent, how can you be afraid to send your kid to school? And that's where we are. Because at this point in time, you don't know. You don't know what's going to happen. Is that going to be the last time you hug your your children before you send them off to a school where they're Mm -hmm. supposed to be safe?
0: Hmm. Did the fact that the children who were killed uh, were in fourth grade, did that really strike you?
2: I mean, you don't want to hear about any of this happening ever, but the fact that the kids in the school was... The direct age of my kids definitely added a little extra punch to the gut.
0: You're very aware of what a child that age might be thinking or feeling. Absolutely.
2: I was trying not to go there, but now all over social media are things. And these families are coming out telling about that morning or the last few days with their kids. And and then the questions they're asking are like, was my kid the first one shot or did they have to sit there and watch all this happen and fear for their life for an hour before they were killed? Um, the girl that smeared blood on herself. So the shooter thought she was dead. I, I just, the emotional trauma that that poor girl is going to have the rest of her life. I mean, all of these kids is, I mean, it's, it's a hard enough world that we live in now um, with what kids are dealing with, but to have to, to go through something like this, is, I, 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 there are no words.
0: The timing of the Uvalde shooting meant that a lot of schools were in their final days and weeks of the year, before summer break began. As social media and morning news shows flooded viewers with images of Rob Elementary students receiving awards at a ceremony attended by their parents the day of the shooting. Johns and Gay were also attending an event at their own children's school. It was market day for fourth graders. They were raising funds for mountain gorillas in Uganda. Emily Johns.
2: I was trying to pull myself together all morning. Um, We we drove and parked and we went to walk in and I couldn't compose myself. And my husband's like, okay, let's, let's just gather ourselves. Let's walk down to the end of the street. I said, okay. We walked down to the corner, and I tried to get hold of myself, and we walked back, and I tried again, and I still couldn't do it. So he's like, OK, let's, let's walk around the block. So we walked around the block. I called one of my friends that was there, and she's like, this will make you feel better. These kids are so happy. There are smiles on their faces. You need to compose yourself and come in here for your son.
0: Johns had forgotten her sunglasses. She put on her husband's to hide her tear-stained face and went to the fourth grade market day. Samantha Gay was at the event, too, also wearing sunglasses. A lot of parents were.
1: It was interesting because it was one of the first times that the parents had been able to go to an event at the school since COVID. So on one hand, you no, know, it was a really happy thing to see their projects and to actually get to go to something and not just get like a recording of it or see pictures on a Facebook page. But the, the parents were somber. I mean, you could just tell that we were all... So thankful to be there and so worried. You just see a whole gathering of kids this exact age and just think, what would the world be like if somebody just decided to come and kill 19 of them? Like, it's just really hard not to let your mind go there. It's awful. I was thankful that it was sunny because I could have tears in my eyes behind sunglasses. No no one could really see it, but it's just maddening that we just keep thinking that nothing can be done about it.
0: Why? As our genetic and moral code demands, can't we do something? As much as parents were struggling with their feelings, they knew they had to face the inevitable, telling their children what had happened. Samantha Gay.
1: I think that they deserve to be innocent kids. They deserve to go to school and not worry that someone is going to kill them while they're just trying to learn but i do see the value in having the conversations with me and not with other kids who might have heard things that aren't true or can't articulate this as well. I mean it's it's just a really hard thing to figure out.
0: Other parents
1: were having discussions with their kids. It was my son's 10th birthday. Given that this is a special week in our family, i didn't want him linking this to his birthday. I didn't want him every year to feel guilty or sad, or scared.
0: So she and her husband decided to wait to tell their school-aged children anything about the events in Texas.
1: It really just felt like taking a really odd and disturbing gamble on, do I tell him and I know that's going to make him upset? Or do I just try to keep letting time elapse? And at least if he finds out, it's less in the news should he choose to look into it. And it's further out from when it actually happened. I it, it just, it really did. It felt like a really strange gamble.
0: Here's the thing, kids are very perceptive. They are hardwired to take cues from their parents, says Colette Dollarhide, Ohio State Professor of Counselor Education.
3: They know something is very wrong. They know we're upset. Kids are always watching their parents, their survival, Depends on the adults in their lives, and they know that. So they're very in tune. And so even if adults try to put on a happy face, kids always know anyway. And then it is even more stressful for kids when the adult says, Never mind, it's okay, there's nothing, there's nothing. That's even more stressful. So it actually is better to be honest, but not going into the details. A comment about someone who wanted to hurt a town and went into the school and hurt children in that school, but that person was handled by the police. Just the bare bones of information is helpful for kids to at least understand why you're upset. And we can help through conversation. I think we can help give them some information as well as some sense of moving forward.
0: Deciding how many details to tell children about a tragedy like the U of Alde shooting all depends on the developmental level of the child. A conversation with a high school student is different than a conversation with a kindergartner and different for a fifth grader, still, Dollarhide said. There's good reason why it feels so risky and difficult to have those discussions.
3: What it all relates to is our illusion of safety. We get into a car and we buckle our seatbelt, believing that that will help keep us safe. And we drive defensively, believing that will help keep us safe. But that unpredictability of life is something adults have been able to contextualize and compartmentalize in ways that allows us to function. For kids, it is much more challenging. Following our car
0: analogy, we get driver's education, keep our hands on the steering wheel, our foot near the brake, We're in control. We also wear seat belts, have airbags, and backup cameras to handle the unpredictable moments. For kids, that looks very different. Children have almost no control. And as teachers and parents, we are just working to build their sense of agency, their confidence to handle unexpected situations. Ironically, this is where the drills can actually help children deal with their anxiety. It gives some control back to them.
3: To help kids deal with some of that, we can help them understand their sense of control and, and reinforce participating in the drills because it does help to develop that muscle memory of what do you do and how do you keep yourself safe? Not that we have to be always looking around our environment asking, where do I hide, but that is part of that sense of control and agency that kids are able to understand how to participate in the drills if anything were to happen, just like a fire, just like wearing our seatbelt in a car, that those things can help us to remain safe and give us that sense that we are doing what we can in control of our environment to uh, remain safe. mm mm-hmm.
0: So you're saying the drills can also give
3: them a, a sense of security in an odd way. Yes. Fire drills, active shooter drills. When I was a kid, it was nuclear bomb drills. Um, mm-hmm. And they timed us to see how long it took us to get home, to know whether or not to release us to go die at home or to die in the school. Oh, so, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. And and, and they told they.
0: They told you. They told you.
3: And we knew this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. How old were you then? That was elementary school, so that would have been in the 60s. Oh, my goodness.
0: We were laughing in hindsight, not at the threat, but at the absurdity of school officials telling young children that they were being timed to see if they could get home before a bomb dropped. Kids then lived with that anxiety, just like our children today live with the knowledge of gun violence. But at least we have made progress in the way that we present those notions of danger to our children. There were some parents saying that the kids that were already prone to anxiety, even the drills were enough to set them off. It's because we live in a world like this now, right? Uh, Exactly. Exactly. But it's kind of actually, in an odd way, somewhat comforting to know that you went through these nuclear drills. I don't know that that... (laughs) That's pretty sad to have to even point that out. But in a way, the world is crazy, and it seems like it's getting crazier. But that was that must have been pretty
3: crazy for you, too, to go through mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. We live near an Air Force base, and so the community was aware it was a target. What about the child
0: who is having anxiety, either because of what just happened and they know about it, Uh, Or just the mere thought of a drill is enough to send them home in tears. How do you help your child begin to feel Mm -hmm. safe again?
3: There are a number of things that parents can help their children in terms of developing skills to de-escalate some of their anxiety.
0: The College of Education and Human Ecology is doing research on biofeedback in one central Ohio school helping students use sensors to monitor the impact of deep breathing on the body's stress response. It sounds simple, but science shows that drawing deep and even breaths kicks in a parasympathetic response, throwing the brakes on the fight, flight, or freeze
3: reactions that
0: trigger stress in children and adults.
3: They're able to regulate their own physiological and psychological responses to stressors and uh, other sources of anxiety. It's been extremely effective it, it it doesn't you don't have to hook yourself to a, a a sensor however to to feel that sense of calm and to feel that sense of lowered anxiety level. The parent talking the child through a creative imagination scenario, asking them, where are your best memories? Where are your happiest memories? Let's imagine that, let's go there together. What do you see? What do you smell? What do you hear? And really deepening their sensory imagination. And then the parent reminding the child to breathe deeply, breathe together, breathe slowly, etc. It allows them to practice those self-regulation skills.
0: Apps and YouTube videos, some geared to kids, can walk you and your child through the process. Getting kids into nature and keeping them physically active also helps, Dollarhide said. Also key to combating anxiety are what researchers and mental health experts call protective factors, such as fostering optimism and maintaining spiritual beliefs. Deep involvement in community groups and with family has been shown to inoculate certain ethnic groups against anxiety even more but dealing with racial microaggressions and threats like gang violence also might serve to normalize gun violence for some children, particularly minoritized teens. Tanya Middleton, clinical assistant professor of counselor education, has teenage children who've experienced lockdowns at school, but they and their classmates also have lost friends to gun violence.
4: You talk about normalizing it for myself I see this type of violence it in, in within some of the communities that I'm in on a daily basis. My daughter had a friend, she was killed. She was in the wrong place, wrong time. Teenage girl, 14 years old. Having come off of that, I'm not going to say I'm, I'm numb to it, but it's almost just this is unfortunately the world that we're in.
0: Toughens you up a little bit, doesn't it?
4: Well, with my kids, they're African-American, so we've had that conversation about guns and about gun safety and with the police violence and everything that's going on. So they've been a little bit more primed, I would say, in that this can happen and what to do should it happen. It was a learned racial component, but they're aware of the threats and the possibilities. But a lot of students are not.
0: In fact, urban schools with high minority populations have more shootings overall, but far fewer mass shootings like the one in Uvalde according to the U.S. Government Accountability Office. Gun violence in urban schools tends to be more one-on-one, involving grievances between individuals. Most school-targeted shootings, which involve mass and indiscriminate killing, like that in Parkland, Texas, and Newtown, Connecticut, occur in wealthy and less diverse schools, both suburban and rural, according to the study. More than half of the fatalities in the agency's report were the result of those school-targeted shootings. Regardless, all parents, urban, suburban, and rural, black, white, Latinx, or Asian, rich, middle-class, or low-income, are likely to find themselves trying to explain gun violence to their children. Why it has hijacked parts of American education. How we can keep it from hijacking their well-being, too. Middleton, who has worked as a crisis counselor in corporate settings, says don't be surprised if kids have a delayed response. She has seen trauma set in weeks or months after an event.
4: They'll have, well, the door is open if anyone wants to talk to the counselor. I don't get anybody. But if you send me in there, maybe a couple, a month or so later after people have had time to process and the reality has set in, I get a little bit more. Oh,
0: wow. So so potentially kids and even parents might Mm -hmm. a month or two down the road start to really um, feel the effect.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Because we go through shock. Did this really happen? Because the schools closed and then all that happens and you see it on the media and everybody's paying all attention to it. And then the next issue happens and, the world moves on, and then you're kind of left to deal with those feelings. It's, it's, a, it's a grief, actually. Right. It can fall along the stages of grief where there's some acceptance, some denial within that uh, cycle that people have to consider. And a lot of times we don't. We'll come out immediately and provide support, but then we don't come back.
0: If what you're saying is true, August is going to come around, and then some people are going to have some issues with setting, putting their kids back into a school setting. And the kids might have issues, too. Are there enough... School counselors, are there enough resources within the schools to meet those needs? Because I've been hearing, even with the pandemic, there aren't. Would right, you
4: agree? I would totally agree with you. There's not, there aren't enough. There's a shortage of school and clinical mental health counselors right now that are actually working within the school environment. And so what happens is it winds up being more taxing on the few that are there, and then they get burned out.
3: Colette Dollarhide the parallel question is, how do we help parents to regain that sense of safety in sending their children to school? And it's that same sense of control and sense of agency. And so for parents to regain their sense of comfort and lower their own anxiety, getting involved in terms of being an advocate for whatever reasonable legislation they believe in related to guns and Supporting schools' efforts for increased mental health support in the schools, increased security, uh, trained security officers in the schools, those kinds of things can help parents to feel like they're also doing what whatever they can in order to make their schools a safer place for their children and the coming generations of children. Summer is a really valuable time for gaining a sense of centering about what is it that I want to do and how do I want to do that in order to make the fall transition back to school as comfortable for my family as humanly possible. And that may be conversations with a professional. It may be conversations with the school leadership in order to find out what is it that they're planning? What is it that they need in terms of help or support? because action does help with anxiety.
0: Do something. This podcast was published 22 days after the Robb Elementary school shooting. During those 22 days, there have been another 54 mass shootings in the United States, nearly two and a half per day. An alarming number of victims were teens and children, riding their bikes, sleeping in their beds, learning in school. Like so many parents, Chris Reese dupin dropped his kids off at their school after the Uvalde shooting and was grief-stricken.
5: I felt great emotion for every parent that was walking with their kid, every teacher that I saw, you know, knowing that we had all kind of experienced this thing in one way or another, and we were all kind of reckoning with it in that moment.
0: Reese dupin is a trainer and a consultant for youth summer camps, teaching adults to help kids handle conflict, practice gratitude, be better humans. He also is an activist and a public speaker and talked recently about being hope rebels, not being so paralyzed by brokenness that we miss those things, which we can do to fix it.
5: I think a certain amount of paralysis is also important. That's the quiet moment after the thing happens for us to really get our brain around the tragedy that it was, but not being paralyzed by it because in paralysis, we're not able to do anything.
0: Why do you think it's important for us not to lose hope though, in a in face of another school shooting?
5: We'll have to almost come into contact with that grief and then disengage from it so that you can just survive. I don't wanna live in a world where I'm worried about this all of the time and also I'm worried about this all of the time. So I think the hope part comes in that We can do something to fix it. We can do something to change it. We can continue to be a people that show up and speak out. I can talk to my kids about being kind to their friends. I can talk to my kids about how to help a friend who's hurting. I can be in relationship with people who are having mental health struggles and helping them through that. We all have ways that we relate to the world that can be impactful. And I really do think those are the little things that are going to add up. That's the action that's going to shock us out of that pain as we realize that we are the people who can and must do better. I found the best path to healing and hope is to find the action. Find the thing that you can do. We can all do something, right? We all have gifts, and all of those little somethings, I truly believe, are what can add up to be transformative in ways that we're just not going to be able to understand until it happens.
0: It's time to respond to the oxytocin, that love hormone, in our brains. It's time to do something. A rally to end gun violence will begin at West Bank Park and travel to the Ohio State House June 25th from noon to noon to 2 p.m.